Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Our guest today, voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy, will get his thoughts on the development of this young team, as well as the best environments in the AAC. We'll also get you ready for a big week for the Shockers. Two winnable games, but two tough tests with UConn and SMU. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor is at the UConn-Wichita State women's game tonight at Coke Arena. He'll be joining us in the final segment of the show. So producer Brian and I will recap the week that was for Wichita State, and it was a week of ups and downs. You have arguably what was the best road win of the year, or actually what is the best uh, road win of the year at Tulsa, and then a tough home loss to Memphis by four, a really great environment, but ultimately can't come up with the stop. So, you know, I, I think big picture, you think they're still playing pretty good basketball. It was competitive basketball, but also making a lot of mistakes, having fouls, letting other teams get back into games at the free throw line. So it's kind of, you know, still that hot and cold nature that we've seen all year well it's it's still a young team so you're still going to get the roller coaster you're still going to have the ups and downs so certainly a lot of uh, progression I thought was interesting as far as the Tulsa game went you know really aggressive moving the ball uh, finding open shooters not hesitating to shoot I thought it was really interesting in, in Taylor's article earlier in the Eagle that he pointed out that of all the 15 three-pointers that were made, not a single dribble was taken. And I think that really speaks to if guys get the ball in the right spot, open and ready to shoot, you know, they are a good, they can be a good shooting team. They just need to be prepared. And I think uh, Memphis really kind of clogged up the way they like to run. Against Tulsa, it was a school record tying 15 three-pointers that they hit. They shot 45.5% from the field. And Dexter Dennis and Samaje Haynes-Jones made 11 out of those 15 threes. So I will say in both games, it seems like Dexter Dennis is really coming on. I think you're seeing a lot more consistent performance from him listening to one of the post-game uh, radio shows with Mike Kennedy actually uh, interviewing Dexter. He talked. They asked him about hitting a freshman wall because it seems like you know late in the season as you go through the grind of college basketball, it just you kind of hit a point where you just can't sustain the performance you need to have on a game-to-game basis. Well. Dexter really struggled to adapt. I mean, the team was so young early on. He was trying to figure out how to not foul, how to stay in games longer, how to get in rhythm. He really, early in the season, didn't have an opportunity to be a consistent playmaker. So I I don't know that he really is going to hit a wall. I think we're seeing what we want to see. And in many ways, he can get a lot better. Um, he's certainly a very consistent, very accurate three-point shooter. I love watching the way he always releases it consistently. Every shot out of his hands looks exactly the same, but we haven't seen him really develop the ball handling and going to the rim hard, driving, 
creating shots at the rim as much as I think he can. He's done it a couple times, but I think, you know, there's a lot more to his game that he can bring to the table other than three-point shooting and defense. Yeah, we see a lot of players just need to find that aggression when they come in as freshmen, particularly playing as much as really all of these shocker freshmen are. You got to find that, you know, kind of play angry attitude uh, to, to play homage to the pass and, and go up and, and get those fouls. And, and that's what the other team's doing right now. I mean, Memphis outscored Wichita State by 13 at the line, I believe. Both teams had nine turnovers, but Memphis scored 10 more points on those turnovers. So it was just a little of that inexperience that I think led to the home loss on Yeah, I would also say that there's a tendency of, of – a number of the players to not go through the contact uh, at times to want to try and fade away and hit the tough shot. Um, and, and certainly in some cases, you know, with, with Samaja, he's just undersized. He's not really going to be able to go in and create contact and, and still get a shot off, you know, without it getting swatted. So in, in some cases that's, it's, it's a hard ask to, to ask them to go in and, and be real physical and aggressive to the rim. But certainly there's players that I think can do more of that. I think McDuffie can do a little more of that. Um, certainly Dexter Dennis and Eric Stevenson and um, Burton all have the ability and the athleticism to go in there physically, take the ball to the rim, and potentially get more free throws. You've been a Shocker fan for a long time, just like I have. Where does Jeremiah Martin's 37 piece as a road? Gosh, I'm going to go back to the College of Charleston NIT run. Um, with Al, uh, Goudlock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andrew That's, Goudlock. He was Andrew Goudlock. for a while with the yeah, Lakers. He was with the Lakers for a little while. That that still trumps One Jeremiah Martin. One step past half court. One he step, was open. Yeah, it, yeah it, <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. But, you know, I I think Jeremiah Martin is a incredibly smart player, a very accurate shooter. He played very well. But I think Wichita State did themselves no favors in the way that they defended him. I, I know a number of times he caught it at the three-point line and he was just able to rise up and shoot. And you really have to, with a guy like that, be in his hip pocket. I mean, in the same way that we're seeing Dexter Dennis knock down three-point shots consistently, you you, ex- you expect to have somebody really in his pocket as soon as he catches it so that he can't get that open three-point look. The other piece is he's smart. He's savvy. He draws fouls. You saw late in the game when they wanted to double-team Martin to get the ball out of his hands and into somebody else's hands to force somebody else to make a shot. You know, he, he saw that that double team coming late and just forced the foul on on uh, Stevenson just by being really aware of the situation, aware of what's going on around him. And I think that had a lot to do with those 14 three point or 14 free throws. And uh, it certainly was a very good performance. I don't want to take anything away from him, but uh, Wichita State did themselves no favors in the way they defended him. What did you think about Penny Hardaway saying it was like an NBA atmosphere? It was a great atmosphere. I thought it was it was, very it was phenomenal. Uh, when a McDuffie, lot of energy. You know, hit that three to tie the game. I, I mean, the place went nuts. Yeah, those. Then unfortunately, Memphis marched immediately, right back down, and that down and that's the uh, it burns you sometimes. You know, there's certain situations where you just don't quite have the smart play. When Wichita State goes to the zone, and they leave Martin alone in the corner, they just don't don't identify the shooter in the corner um, with the press, them getting the quick break of the trap. And then they're up the floor to quick right after the uh, right after tying the game, they get an easy basket. And I think it didn't help that Wichita state let the game get into a pace that was not favorable to Wichita state. 
you know, Memphis wants to be up tempo, shoot a lot of shots, attack the rim, move the ball. And if they miss run back, you know, they just want to go up and down the court a lot because it gives them rhythm. You saw early in the game for the first 10 or 12 minutes, Wichita State controlled the tempo, dictated things on offense. They they looked for a high percentage shot. And then when they'd miss, they'd get back and they'd contain that fast break. Early in that first half, I thought Wichita State did excellent. And that kind of got away from them. There was a period where Wichita State took a couple quick shots the pace of the game started to pick up there a little past midway in the first half. And I think that actually allowed Memphis to get a little rhythm going, even though they're on the road. Well, you talk about pace of play. The 88 points scored by Memphis was the most by a visiting team in the Greg Marshall era. So I'm sure he wasn't crazy about that. A few other stats I liked from this game. Echenique had his third double-double of the year. He had 17-12. and 12, But he's blocked a shot in 11 consecutive games, uh, which I believe is tied for fourth all-time. Also, Coach Marshall stuck at 299 wins. He'll get 300. Don't worry about it. Hopefully this week. (laughs) (laughs) Big picture as we look through the end of the season, you know, we'll bring Taylor on in the last segment and do more of a preview of UConn and SMU. But I do have to think the team feels like it's playing at a higher level right now. Even with the loss to Memphis, there were some great plays made. They're they're playing with more aggression, it seems like, at times. They're able to dictate, uh, not for the entire game, but they are able to dictate, you know, five, ten-minute segments at times, whereas before we just never really felt like they were getting in a in momentum on a roll and so what what do you think about you know through the final two weeks of the season what what where they go from here well I think you win some games I mean it's it's you've got a bunch of winnable ones in front of you I think the team is pretty well locked in I like the energy level from them uh, I like the defensive intensity that the team is bringing I think it's just a matter of making smarter plays not getting too far ahead of yourself I think I see that you know a little more in Dexter maybe Um, I saw this earlier in Stevenson. It seems like he's kind of backed off on it, wanting to make just that extra special play, you know, wanting to get that big time steal and just overextending yourself a little bit and getting a dumb foul or being out of position and it gives up an easy basket things of that nature, turning the ball over. You know, I see a little bit of that, but that you're going to get that from a young team. So I think that there's going to be an opportunity to win some games down the stretch. I think the big thing that they're going to have to, have as you're seeing a little bit of the the Takale Cotton treatment for Burton and uh, Torres uh, as far as just backing off on the three-point line and just daring him to shoot. And I think that throws off the rhythm of the offense a little bit. Uh, I don't know that very many other teams will play the defensive strategy that Memphis did. Um, but certainly those, I mean, we saw with Takale Cotton, he became a very reliable three-point shooter, and he did it midseason. So, you know, I expect that Torres and Burton are going to get in the gym They're going to put up a lot of three-point shots and at least make themselves a threat here down the stretch. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll bring on Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. We'll get his thoughts on the development of the team and ask him a few interesting questions, including has he noticed the difference in Coach Marshall this season? Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Today's guest should be a voice familiar to all Shocker fans as it's Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. Mike, how are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, we appreciate you coming on for your annual chat. And I want to start with the game this past Saturday against Memphis. It's a tough loss at home, but at the same time, the team has won five out of the last seven. You've seen noticeable improvement in players like Asborn Midgard, Dexter Dennis, uh, Burton. There's a lot of a lot of those younger players who seem to be coming along. So is this about where you thought they'd be at this point in the season? And what would you like to maybe see over these last few weeks? Well, to, to answer the first part of the question, I, I think I had to kind of reevaluate. I, I think I was probably a little overly optimistic at the beginning and thought uh, Greg Marshall was being a little, you know, coach speak pessimistic. Uh, I think he had a pretty good sense all along of, of what he had and what he didn't have this year. And so I, you know, I had to kind of dial it back a little bit. And yeah, based on where they were kind of at midseason, uh, I would say they're about where I expected, or maybe even a little ahead in some ways. So uh, I think it's been gratifying to see how they've developed. And honestly, I, I think these last four games are all winnable. And, you know, record-wise and where they go at the end of the season, a lot of those things still could be, I think, pretty satisfying to the fans. But uh, as we saw Saturday, it's not like you take, several steps and then you've arrived at a certain point there are going to be steps back and I thought that's what Saturday was a little bit is there a player or players that you've been impressed with their development or growth at this point in the season and then as a follow-up to that which player out of this group are you most excited to see next season after a full season in their belt and then an off season to get better you know the one that's probably surprised me the most has been as Bjorn Midgard, and I, I honestly thought, uh, let's say going to Houston, if you want to go back that far, that uh, you know, I honestly didn't even know if if it was that important to him, if he was that into it. And then uh, he got a couple of minutes at Houston to prepare him for UCF, and all of a sudden we saw kind of a different guy against UCF, and he has continued to grow from there. So I, I think he has played maybe the most beyond what my expectations were earlier in the year. I think also Jamarius Burton's development has been significant because uh, he came in as basically a combo guard, but certainly not a true point guard. And he is really starting to figure it out and play like a point guard. And now he's just got to continue to work on his, his mid range shooting so that they have to play him honestly out there. But that's, getting a little better also but the guy that uh you know if you're talking about the future and somebody i'm really excited to see continue i think dexter dennis is the next star in this program i think he's a potential nba player all those kinds of things i i think it's going to be really fun to see what he could be because as well as he has played at times and is playing right now i think there's a tremendous amount of upside still there Mike, talking with you is like talking with an encyclopedia of Wichita State athletics, but in particularly Shocker basketball. So does this year's team, you know, would you compare it to any Wichita State teams of the past, particularly with their, you know, kind of youth that they came into the season with? Uh, it's You know, it's kind of hard to do that simply because uh, this is by far the youngest team or the most inexperienced team at the Division One level starting out a season that I've ever seen or, you know, am aware of. Uh, there have been some teams in the past that actually had a little more 
a freshman contribution in terms of the percentage of scoring that they did. One of those fairly recently was Mark Turgeon's second team when he had Randy Burns and Jamar Howard and Rob Campman. Uh, Paul Miller got hurt that year. Uh, so there have been some other situations where freshmen, uh, when Antoine Carr and Cliff Levingston and Ozell Jones were freshmen, uh, they had a huge impact. But uh, this has been a little different in terms of just going into a season with almost no one on the team having had any previous Division One experience. So it's been a little different. We've talked some on the show this year about the environment at Coke Arena. The Shockers have three home losses, but it's been really a great atmosphere and great games, and it's nice for some fans to see you know, excitement in the games from those last few years in the Missouri Valley Conference. So what, what kind of your thoughts been overall on the crowds this year at Coke Arena? And then also, what's your favorite road environment so far in the AAC? Oh, interesting question on the second part. Um, you know, I've been I've been really pleased with the way the fans have supported this team. And, and from the beginning, there were some early games where it wasn't sold out. And you could tell that, you know, of the, the normal base of 10-5, whatever, that there had been a couple or 300 every game that were taking kind of a wait-and-see attitude or just uh, maybe a little bit on the bandwagon and, and word is into it this year. But some of the games recently in particular, including the one Saturday, the atmosphere has just been tremendous. And I think that I would say 95 to 98% of the fan base has recognized just what this year is and what's going on and uh, the job that Coach Marshall and his staff have done and have gotten behind it. And I think what you mentioned is part of it, too, that this is exciting basketball to watch. You see a player like Jeremiah Martin or a Jaron Cumberland or guys like that, uh, get to see them firsthand. Uh, that adds, if you're a real basketball fan, that adds to the overall experience. As far as a, um, a road atmosphere, I will say, you know, un- <laughs> as unprejudicially as I possibly can, there isn't another one quite like this one, but, uh, Certainly Cincinnati had a big crowd and a good atmosphere. Um, It's gotten a lot better at Memphis. There's a lot of excitement there. Uh, So those have been two of the better ones. Um, And, you know, we're seeing some of the places for the first time, even though it's the second year in the league, because we didn't go some of the places last year. And Cincinnati and Houston were both playing in other arenas while theirs were being renovated. So, um, you know, last year, interestingly enough, Although the crowd wasn't that big, they had a great student crowd at UCF, and that was a a good atmosphere in a game that went overtime. But uh, I'd have to say right now, Cincinnati and Memphis, uh, Houston's got a new arena. It's not a big arena. I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't overall as impressed with that as I have been a couple of other places. Last question for you, Mike. Have you noticed any difference in Coach Marshall this year working with a, a younger team? I have, and I have told some people, and sometimes they look at me a little funny when I say this, but I think this has been one of his best coaching jobs here. And that seems strange with all the success he's had, and they're sitting at 13 and 13, but he is so hyper-competitive and, you know, wound up and intense and all those things. And I think he recognized pretty early on that he had to find a balance this year between pushing this team as much as he possibly could and 
trying to get them to understand the levels of intensity and hard work and toughness that are required, but at the same time realizing you can't just be on them all the time, that there's got to be some positive reinforcement. And, and I think he's done an amazing job of balancing the two. And so I think from that standpoint, we've, we've seen a little bit different Greg Marshall this year because he's had to be that way and has understood that uh, this team takes a little different approach than he would ideally like to take. To your point, a uh, you know difficult few tests here over the last few weeks, but certainly four winnable games, so uh, certainly an opportunity to maybe gain some momentum into the AAC tournament in Memphis. And, you know, beyond that, um, people ask about the NIT, for instance. Uh, this league is so good this year that you get top six, maybe. Um, I mean, I think you could certainly be looking at the NIT, so they do win these last four and win a game or two in the tournament. I mean, that could be a possibility. Uh, after seven straight NCAAs, it seems like something like the CBI would be a major come down. But I think that most any coach with a young team like this would opt for the opportunity to play in a tournament like that so that he could continue to coach this young team longer and continue to develop them. So that could be a possibility. There's just, there's all kinds of things. I, I think winning the tournament, if you have to win four games in four days is a real major long shot, but in college basketball, you don't want to completely rule anything out. Well, once again, we appreciate you taking the time, Mike. Our listeners can follow you on Twitter at Shocker Voice and certainly listen to your calls, 103.7 KEYN. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. Final segment of the show, and Taylor now joins us. He was at Coke Arena tonight for the UConn women and their visit to Coke Arena, number two ranked in the country. So, Taylor, before we get into the preview of these games, just tell us a little bit, what was the atmosphere like tonight for the women's game? And obviously Wichita State comes out on the losing end, but what would you think overall of the game? Yeah, you know, we had 6,000 people out here tonight. Great night for women's basketball in Wichita. I think this can be, you know, monumental. Um, first trip to, to Wichita for the UConn women. So you think about how many little girls were out here tonight, you know, watching that team play. And, you know, maybe that, that you know, sparks a light in them and say, like, hey, I want to play college basketball now. Or, or, you know, they get motivated or inspired or whatever. So they see how good UConn was and, you know, they were on full display tonight. You know, they, they were, uh, you know, hitting, uh, you know, I think they got up by 20 uh, in the first period alone. So um, they were really fun to watch. Kind of a bummer. Gino Ariema was not able to make it due to a sickness, but still, you know, this is still the 11-time national champion, UConn women. So uh, really cool night. Um, you know, the Shocker fans were great. You know, their their team's down 30 in the fourth uh, fourth period, and they're going crazy. And even the UConn people said afterward that, you know, that doesn't happen really anywhere, you know, that we go for the first time. And, you know, usually when they go up by 30 or 40, that kind of takes the uh, the air out of their arena. But, you know, give Wichita State fans credit. They stuck around until the end. They made a lot of noise. And, yeah, it was pretty cool to see. And like I said, I think this is big for women's basketball in Wichita. I think this uh, could – 
be kind of a landmark night uh, going forward for, for the sport in Wichita. Well, on Thursday, the male version of the Huskies will come to town. They're 13 and 14 on the year and 4 and 10 in the AAC. They beat Wichita State 80 to 60 on their home floor in stores on January 26. But Taylor, since then, they are 1 and 6 and they've lost five straight. They're also 0 and 7 on the road this year. So to put it bluntly, this is a game Wichita State just needs to win, needs to take care of business at home. Absolutely. You know, especially after giving one away. Uh, with Memphis, you know, you're up 16 in the first half at home. Uh, they had such a good start to that game. you got to finish that. And you've got to at least have to give yourself a chance to win. And that's what I thought the Shockers failed to do. Um, you know, the silly fouls, silly mistakes down the stretch kind of robbed them of that chance uh, to, to have a chance to win. And, um, you know, that's something that they're going to have to bounce back from against UConn. You know, obviously the Huskies are down. Uh, they're not playing well right now, but they're they're super talented. They're very long. They're very athletic. They have a you know a stud point guard and Altariq Gilbert back. You know this guy's a you know a French five star guy. So it's not like they don't have talent and a great coach in Danny Hurley. So um, yeah, look for WSU to we're going to see kind of a test of their resolve and see how they bounce back after a disappointing performance. But I still think you know they're they're heading in the right direction. They still played well offensively against Memphis. Uh, silly mistakes, and you know couldn't get it done on defense. But see if they can clean those uh, those up and uh, get a you know like you said a, a must win at home if you're going to be pushing for a higher seed in, in the American tournament. It was a tough game on the road in Connecticut, but UConn is just a just a different team on the road. So once again, a game the Shockers need to take care of. Then they'll take their show on the road this Sunday in Dallas at SMU. SMU is thirteen and thirteen on the year and five and nine in the conference. It will be an important win for Wichita State to pick up if they want to continue to advance as far as seeding is concerned for the AAC tournament in Memphis. Game tips at one p.m. on CBS Sportsnet, and it was the buzzer beater Samaje Haynes Jones 85-83 for the game in Wichita. What do you see uh, as far as the game down in Dallas? What might be a little different yeah i'm really curious to see how uh, a score to watch on wednesday night will be the smu score they they play cincinnati at home really curious to see how they respond because they just completely rolled over on the road in their last game against ucf they lost by uh almost 50 uh just ridiculous you know ucf you know they're a good team but they're not that good where you should be giving up 95 points so um, you know, maybe we, we see a scenario where SMU just kind of lays over, you know, Cincinnati is a really uh, good team. So maybe they get beat by 10, 20 points. And then you look at a scenario where, you know, SMU loses seven of eight games going into that Wichita State game. And, you know, if the Shockers can get some positive momentum uh, on Thursday, then maybe they can have, you know, some momentum going into that and, and steal one on the road that they probably, you know, before the season, that's probably one that's, you know, they're not going to be favored in. but um, So, yeah, that's that's what I'm curious about, to see how SMU plays on Wednesday. And, you know, if they, if they lose by double digits at home, that's definitely a, a game where uh, Wichita State should be able to take advantage of on the road against a team that's, you know, shorthanded. You know, they, they have no depth. Uh, and because of the probation, obviously, and uh, they're just really short on scholarship guys. So Wichita State can wear them down. You know, they have that, that deep rotation. And uh, that's a game that the Shockers could, you know, uh, steal on the road. And that would be a huge one for seeding in the American, too, especially if they win on Thursday. 
Well, the Shockers right now are 6-8 and eight in the AAC, but we talked about this with Mike Kennedy. Certainly four winnable games here down the stretch, and arguably you have the two most difficult this week with UConn and SMU, but as we've discussed, both of them you know, kind of coming in on, on some losing streaks or at, least, or at least not doing well here lately. Then you have ECU and Tulane to close the season next week, so an opportunity to certainly end the season on a pretty good run. Yeah, absolutely. That's why <laughs> Memphis lost. I mean, I hate to go back to it, but that's why that one felt like a dagger because, you know, Wichita State really, really had a chance to, to I thought, you know, maybe win out uh, kind of like we talked on last week's show. I thought they had a, a legitimate chance to, to win the rest of their games. Uh, if They just took care of business at home and, you know, that, that didn't happen against Memphis, but good news is they're, they're still in a pretty good position. Uh, now, probably not going to be able to catch Memphis, but uh, now they're in a battle with South Florida for kind of that six seed. And it's important because, you know, if they get six, then you're looking at East Carolina in the first round, uh, opposed to if you fall to seven, then you're probably going to get UConn. And, you know, like I said, they're, they're struggling right now, but that's uh, the talent disparity between UConn and East Carolina is enormous. So you definitely want East Carolina in that first round game. So to give themselves a, the best chance, uh, to win and, and stay in Memphis a day or two. Um, you know, Shockers need to get that, that six seed, and uh, they get that done by probably going, you know, three and one might get it done, but four and oh definitely does. So if they can, you know, win these two this week, um, those are the two swing games. And like we said, you know, that last week of the season should be able, you know, maybe not a cakewalk, but those are games that wish I say it's going to be favored heavily in. At, uh, against East Carolina at home and then at Tulane, the two worst teams in the league. So a uh, big week for WSU, and uh, this, this week will tell a lot about, you know, where the Shockers are mentally right now. If the Shockers pull it off, they would be 10-8 and eight in conference. USF is currently 7-7, seven and seven, and they close with UCF at home, at UConn, at Tulane, and SMU at home. So, uh, you know, obviously you'd need them to at least go 3-1, and one, but then they'd have the tiebreaker, so maybe we would have to hope for them to go 2-2. Two and two. But as we've mentioned uh, these last few weeks, uh, a lot of scoreboard watching for Shocker fans. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, maybe something that WSU fans aren't used to, you know, scoreboard watching to see what seed they'll get in the middle of the conference tournament. But, you know, still, uh, you know, it's it's been an exciting uh, season of, of basketball, especially at Coke Arena. I know WSU has dropped three games at home in, in conference play, but, you know, these have been really, really exciting games of basketball. You know, you're seeing great individual performances uh, you know, I don't think they were seeing, you know, Jeremiah Martins and Shiz Alston's and Jaron Cumberland's, you know, every every single game uh, when they were in the Missouri Valley. So this just adds to the level of excitement. Uh, yeah, WSU's taking their lumps this season, but, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be back next year, the next three years. So, um, you know, this is a, kind of the building block. And, you know, uh, the Shockers, you know, if the, the fans stick with them, I think the Shockers will be, you know, laying these beatdowns on, on other teams in the coming years. Maybe Teddy Allen is the guy that people are, are hating on the road. And I can't believe they're, they're dropping 25, 30 points on them. So um, I think it's definitely made for a more exciting season. Um, maybe not as, you know, happy for fans because they're not winning every game, but definitely definitely exciting basketball and some exciting games that come down to the wire let's make some predictions who do you got starting with the UConn game I think uh, Wichita State I think they bounce back I like the way that uh, what they've been saying I've heard today's practice was really good 
Um, just the, the way they responded to you know a pretty harsh critique of that second half of the Memphis game. So I'll go WSU. I think uh, the offense continues to roll. I'll say 81 to 70. Give me the Shockers 72-66. Then we have Sunday, the 1 p.m. Central tip against SMU. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I think SMU is in danger, dangerous territory right now. I have a feeling that, you know, they're going to lose by double digits against Cincinnati. So I think they're not going to have any momentum going into this game. So I'm going to pick the Shockers on the road for their third win. I'm going to go 73-68. to 68. For anyone going to the game, go down the road. There's a little bar district, and there's a Torchy's Tacos. You know, they have breakfast tacos, lunch and (laughs) dinner, tacos and margaritas all day long. But uh, I'll also take the Shockers. Let's go 75 to 69, and uh, we'll continue their winning ways hopefully into next week. Taylor, it was announced today at the press conference, and you had it on Twitter, Mo Udeze out for the year with uh, season-ending shoulder surgery. So uh, just maybe give us a little update on that. Yeah, I just you know it was it was a you know a labrum problem I think is what Marshall called it and it just kept popping in and out and um, you know finally just had to to shut him down for the season and um, they expect the timeline to be about five months so that would put him you know end of July early August so um, kind of a bummer he's going to be missing that much of the summer. You saw what injuries like that could do for, you know, guys like Marcus McDuffie where, you know, they don't have that summer to get ready. And it's just really hard to, to play catch up uh, when you're when everybody has those those three, four months uh, of summer summertime workouts. So uh, hopefully that doesn't affect him uh, too bad. But I know they are excited for him going forward. Uh, yes, he played in uh, too many games for medical hardships, so he can't redshirt. Uh, he'll be a sophomore next year, and um, you know you're looking at Jaime coming back. He's going to be a senior, and uh, the way Meekard has uh, uh, pro- you know progressed, I think he's a solid backup. And uh, Mo Udeze has probably carved out a role too if he's able to to build on on what he was able to do. You know, you think back in the non-conference, you know, he flashed a couple times. I remember Providence game, uh, he played pretty well. You know, staying on the baseline, waiting for those uh, those big time dump off uh, dunks and. Um, you know, he, he has potential. So I think he fits into WSU's plans going forward. He's going to carve out that niche as kind of a backup center next year, play, you know, 10, 10, 12, 15 minutes, something like that behind Jaime. So, um, yeah, I expect to see him back, like I said, at the end of the summer. And, uh, but yeah, for the rest of this year, he'll be in that sling and, uh, he'll be, he'll be out. So, I, I think you might remember from a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were talking about the possibility of him just shutting it down and redshirting next year to get stronger, get healthier, get in better shape, not try and force his way back into the rotation too soon because you've got Isaiah Porbear Chandler, Asbjorn, Jaime. You know, do you have that three headed monster for the post that you can have the luxury of trying to develop? Uh, Morris Udeze for for that year and let him redshirt and get stronger and then take over some more significant minutes the year after. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting. Like I said last week, I think that's an intriguing uh, option for WSU. I do think they they have that luxury if they want it. Um, the problem is that I don't know if Asbury and Mikard can play against any team. Um, you know, teams that go small, kind of like SMU. And a lot of the teams in the American, you know, they play basically a power forward. They play like a, a Marcus McDuffie type at center that can stretch the floor and shoot. 
I don't know if he can play against those teams, you know, consistently. Uh, you can bring him in for, you know, five, five, eight minutes to just change of pace. And, but it's a, it's a huge gamble for WSU because, you know, he's going to really struggle guarding teams out around the perimeter. And I think Mo can do that a little bit better. Uh, he's a little bit more mobile, but um, so I think you'd probably want to have that option just in case. Um, probably depends on the development of uh, Isaiah Forbear Chandler. If he, comes to play and really shows that he wants it this offseason I think he has a big future here and uh, someone that can be a big contributor so um, if he steps up and shows that he wants it yeah I think you do have that luxury to to, to redshirt Udeze but you know kind of what Marshall has said all season it's kind of hard to, to get that guy figured out uh, he, he thinks he's in hibernation mode again so uh, we'll see if uh, if Thursday he can come out of uh, out of that deep sleep and uh, and show WSU coaches you know the the sparks that that he's shown in the past that he can be a big time contributor for this team. Let's chat real quick here on Marcus McDuffie. It was a, a little bit of a tough week. Uh, had the nine point effort at Tulsa. Uh, did have 15 against Memphis, but the scoring, the conference scoring race has changed a little bit. Jeremiah Martin now number one in the conference at 19 points per game. Chiz Alston Jr. 18.9. Cumberland with Cincinnati at 18.6, and then McDuffie is uh, down in fourth place at 18.2. So, uh, you know, I think it was maybe just a little bit of off week for him, and he'll get things back on track. Or what are you seeing from his game right now? Yeah, it's it's tough to say. You know, obviously defenses are are really gearing in to, to stopping him and making him work. And I think Mick Cronin made a really good point after the Cincinnati game that, you know, when you make Marcus, you know, work so hard for for every single shot, I mean, that takes a toll because you think about he's having to do that every single game in the American. You know, his shots are not the same or not equal to, you know, Dexter Dennis's shots. And uh, maybe that changes now that Dexter is just in fuego and cannot miss from three now. But um, Marcus is having to work so hard and, and run around and, and go through screens and uh, take his guy one-on-one and, and, you know, hit tough contested uh, fall away jumpers. And, uh, you know, that's, that's tough to, you know, do for, for this long. And that's why it made it so impressive that he, he had it going that long, um, I will say the Tulsa game, you know, you go back and watch his shots on film, a lot of in and outs, a lot of ones that were, were really good shots, just didn't go down. Not the Memphis game, he did kind of force things. Uh, Samaja Haynes-Jones kind of the same way. And, you know, bottom line, he just has to be better for this team to, to win. You can't have your two seniors, you know, shooting that inefficiently and winning close games like that. So a little bit, a little bit of it is on Marcus to kind of, make sure he's weeding out those, those really bad shots. We can do without those. We need you, you know, catching shoots. We need you in rhythm. We need you, you know, getting to that, you know, he, he's so good at that pull-up jumper. He puts it on the ground once and then does the kind of the hardened step back. And, and that's his go-to spot. And, you know, shots like that we can live with. But, yeah, you know, the force ones that, you know, probably had four or five really bad ones against, uh, against Memphis. So need to cut those out. Um, but a little bit is on him to, you know, recognize that and get better. But also a, lot, a little bit of it is just, you know, the, the wear and tear of the conference season and how much he's having, the, the load he's having to carry, too. Buy your cell time, producer Brian. So we uh, probably have you guys feel for this already, but I'm, I'm going to go for it and put you on the spot. So the remaining four games, 
buy or sell, Wichita State runs the table. I'm going to buy it. I mean, I picked them to, I think the, the road game at SMU is a swing game. I think they're going to win that one. I don't think they'll have a problem next week. So, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. I think they go 4-0 to finish the year. I'll also buy that. I think they have a little bit of sense of urgency after Memphis. It was a tough loss, but I think they get it back. Now, Burton and Torres, you know, much has been made of their uh, inefficiency on outside shooting to this point in the season. Buy or sell, Burton and Torres will each make one more three-pointer before the American tournament. <laughs> so we just need one in the one next four from games. Each, one from each of them. One from I, each I have, of them. I have up, the utmost confidence that Jamarius Burton will make one. I, I don't know if I can say the same thing about Ricky Torres. I'll sell that. Um, I think UConn's going to do a lot of the same stuff that Memphis did and completely leave him and, you know, play five feet off of him and dare him to shoot. But I think he's going to have it in his mind that, hey, I'm going to take that dribble, dribble, pull-up jumper, or I'm going to, you know, find, find a, a pass. So I don't think he's going to sell for the three very often. So I will sell it. I think JB gets one, but not Torres. I'm going to buy it. I think Torres hits one on the road on Sunday at Dallas. And the reason for that is I think he's got a little bit of the yips at home, but if you go out on the road, there's not as much pressure with the home fans. I think he takes care of business. All right. I'll be on the right side of history. (laughs) (laughs) I think his shooting percentage on the road is like 12% compared (laughs) to five at home. So buy or sell, there is more than one future NBA player on the Shockers' current roster. Now, I'm going to caveat this a little bit and say that if you get in a regular season game in the NBA, even if it's just a cup of coffee, it would count in my book. So is there more than one on this roster? I will sell that. Um, I think, you know, it's possible, but if you're asking me right now, um, I don't. I don't see it personally. We'll see. You know, obviously, you'd have to project and 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 consider. You know, how these guys develop. And um, right now, I would say no. But uh, we'll see how they they project and and you know progress. I guess in, in these uh, progress these next couple of years. But for now, I'll I'll sell it. I'm going to buy that. Taylor has turned me into the optimist today, but I think Dexter Dennis, you know, looks more like an NBA player every single game and will continue to get better. We heard that from Mike Kennedy as well. And I also think Marcus McDuffie, if we're just going off the metric of playing a game in the NBA, I think he's going to play in the NBA. And the reason I say that, listen to the guys that he's right in the conference scoring list with. Jeremiah Martin, Shiz Alston Jr., Jerron Cumberland. In my opinion, those are all NBA players. Producer Brian and I were talking a little bit off-air about this, but Echenique has a chance. I think, you know, people have underrated the impact that he's had on on a lot of games this year. He's got that block streak going on. He's got a little smooth shot, not maybe so consistent from three, but still a shot you can make. So, you know, big bodies like that don't come around all the time. So I think he's got a chance as well. So I'll buy it. Yeah, Marshall Marshall was talking today in his press conference that, uh, yeah, he viewed – Echenique uh, is kind of a, you know, someone that someone in the NBA might take a flyer on just because of his size and his shooting. And he's shown in recent games that he's able to, you know, pull off that pump fake and put it on the ground and uh, dribble attack the rim. And 
Um, so that that's really intriguing for for NBA teams to see that. And you're right about Marcus. You know, that's a that's a guy who could certainly play in the NBA. Dexter Dennis. Uh, Marshall was comparing him to Ray Allen today. He says he sees a little Ray Allen in his game, and uh, I mean he's obviously got a ways to go before he fulfills that. But um, you know, you think about it, you can kind of see the similarities in his game. You know, obviously not the level of Ray Allen, but you know the way he can defend, the explosion, uh, his shot just looks so pure right now. So um, I like that comparison. And yeah, if he keeps if he keeps shooting like this, yeah, he may, he's going to end up in the NBA. All right, and finally, we talked a little bit about Marcus McDuffie over the last week not scoring as efficiently as he has over the course of the season. So is this a situation, buy or sell, do you think Marcus McDuffie is in a slump right now, or do you think this is just a blip on the radar, just needs to start taking a couple smarter shots? I'm going to sell that it's a slump. Um I think that, you know, watching watching the Tulsa game, like I said, 0 for 6 from 3, I thought 3 or 4 of them could have been makes. Uh, you know, he makes three um, real clutch threes against Memphis. Uh, two of them were just, you know, super. It just I don't even know how he got them off. It looked like he got fouled, honestly, uh, in the second half when the WSU was coming back and, and making that run. So I think his, his stroke is still there. Um, I think, you know, some of it is, you know, just taking bad shots. I don't think it, it, it's a slump. I think if he if he gets his, you know, mojo back, I think he's he's due for a big game uh, this week. I think he, he could have, you know, a pair of 20-point-plus 20, 20 games this week. I'm going to sell that as well. Let's remember Marcus McDuffie had his best game of his junior season last year at SMU, if my memory serves me right. He scored 26 points and led the Shockers in scoring that day. So I think he's got an opportunity to have another good game in that gym on Sunday. I think he's got a good opportunity. I don't think UConn's going to play with the defensive intensity that maybe a Tulsa or a Memphis did over this last week. And if your worst game is you scored nine points, you know, with the squad this year, that's pretty darn good. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a slump. But at the same time, uh, with uh, great – you know, seniority comes great expectations, and so he's expected to kind of go off now each night. Any final thoughts, Taylor? Yeah, I think that I'm just real curious to see how this team bounces back on Thursday. I think that's a big test for them to see, you know, can they make that next step? And, you know, you, you thought that they had had turned the corner after the Tulsa went on the road where they played just lights out, and then they slip up at home. So, how do they respond to this adversity? You know, I, I know Marshall is going to be in them all week about the stupid mistakes they made, silly, silly fouls. Like I said, um, just looked like they just weren't always mentally locked in. And, you know, a couple where they just kind of spaced out and didn't know what they were doing. And um, I'm, I'm real curious to see if they, they bring a, a more dialed in, more locked in effort against UConn. And, and make a statement, you know, at, at home on Thursday to say, like, hey, we're still here. Um, we still have this thing going. And, you know, they still won five of seven. So it's not like they've lost all of their momentum. So they have a chance to keep this thing going. And like we've talked about, chance to really end the season playing really good basketball in March. 
Our thanks again to Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy, for joining the show. We'll be back with you next week to wrap up the AAC regular season and get you ready for the tournament in Memphis. And as always, Taylor, what should they do? Rate us five stars. <laughs>